Good afternoon, it's Dr. Charles Benz here, and you're listening to Healing Trends with Dr. Benz. Every week we bring you as much good science about healthcare and how to improve your health that you hopefully will benefit from and tell others about. And today we have a very interesting topic called Practicing the Wrong Medicine. And my guest today in the studio is John Barson. He's with Total Health Magazine. He's the editor and chief researcher there. And we've been doing work with John for over 15 years now. And I think we usually manage to get these conversations pretty wound up and pretty good for you. So, John, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm actually in a new location. I was kind of nervous uh, getting set up here. I'm, I'm actually in my little, my little uh, office, video editing office in my RV <laughs> by a river. So I'm glad that we were able to connect. Yes, and you're all the way there, over there in British Columbia. I'm here in Florida, and I think the studio we're actually working this all through is in Chicago. So uh, Correct. Whether that's a triangle, but hopefully it's not the Bermuda Triangle. I know <laughs> that you have an interest in this topic, but here's the lead-in. I had a person I was working with this last week who had arrhythmia caused by the virus and then exacerbated by the vaccination. And her doctor put her on an arrhythmia medication. She was on it for two or three days. It was very bad for her. And so she said, that's not working for me. It's getting worse. And so they put her on a second medication. And that one only lasted two or three hours before she said, that one's not working either. So then they put her on a third medication, and guess what? That one didn't work either. And he said, well, now the only thing we have left is ablation therapy. That's where we put a tube from the bottom of your body up to your heart, and then we kill all those uh, cells that are dysfunctional in your heart. What he didn't tell her was that it's a seven-hour operation, And while you're on that operation, you have to be getting x-rays every second. And so that operation ends up giving a person, the average person, 11,000 x-rays. And at the end of that, the success rate is about 65%, which means you probably have to do it again. And after that, the success rate is about 80%. And then that means you usually have to do it again. And then finally, some people get 100% resolution. But if you knew that there were safe and natural things you could do to get rid of arrhythmia, or at least moderate it enough that you could live with it, would you be willing to go through all of that? So that's my beginning salvo to you, John. Would you be willing to go through that? Well, 11,000 x-rays. So that's each time you have the procedure. Each time you have the procedure. So you'd end up with 33,000 x-rays. 33,000 x-rays. Right. And, well, I suppose the good thing is you in the evening, you just glow in the dark. You don't need any lighting. Oh, geez. Save on electricity. I mean, the amount of evidence that's out there about how bad x-rays are for you, just a dozen are terrible. But 33,000? Just think about it. When you, I was hit by a car uh, bike cycling last year, and I had my shoulder shattered. I had ended up in the hospital. And typically they take you into the x-ray room and they put you, they put a nice lead thing over your private parts. So, you know, you don't affect that. And then they go into a x-ray protected room. So that one x-ray doesn't harm them. (laughs) Right. If they have to take all of those precautions, what does uh, having 11,000 x-rays in your body mean, 33,000 mean to you? Well, I know if the uh, University of California at Davis had done a study, 
and they realized that x-rays and CT scans just really weren't worth doing uh, for women for breast because it was ending up they were going to get more breast cancer if they did these MRIs, for example, than they would if they didn't do them. And so that's why they changed the whole age status. You know, instead of being 40 when you start to get them, you're 50 when you start to get them. Anyway, that's that was just the starting point. The thing about this evidence is, and I'll give you about three or four more examples, and I know you'll resonate with these. Dean Ornish was giving a presentation to the U.S. Senate, and he said, Senators, only 3% of people who get angioplasty live longer. And one of the senators said, well, Dr. Ornish, where did you get that information? And Dr. Ornish said, Oh, that was from a study that you funded a couple years ago, Senator. And so that was interesting. <laughs> and then statin drugs, we now have the information, latest information on statin drugs. 150 people have to take the drug before one person lives longer than if they didn't have to take the drug. That's less than a 1% efficacy. All right, so 150 people have to take the drug in order for one person to benefit. But what are the adverse reactions for those 149? Oh. We know that this is going to deplete their levels of CoQ10 and actually cause muscle problems. And of course, your, your heart is one of the muscles that's most important. And so it can eventually kill you. Statin drugs are only supposed to be used as an intermeasure for like three to six months. And then you're supposed to be able to get off them by doing something natural. But unfortunately, the, the doctors don't know how to do the natural thing. So cancer, 5% survival rate and 3% effectiveness for chemotherapy, and yet they're still using it. COVID, 90% of people, one doctor in Texas reported that 90% of people who died did not need to die, that they had nutritional deficiencies and specifically deficiencies in vitamin D3. 90% of the million people that died in the U.S. probably didn't need to die, according to him. And then you have this arrhythmia patient that I just mentioned. That was ridiculous. And so I think this is really crazy because there was an interview from the Doctor, it's the head of the Canadian Medical Association. And in this YouTube video, her name is Catherine Smart. She said, the Canadian healthcare system is on the verge of collapse. And then she uttered the words that I thought I would never hear from a medical doctor, an allopathic medical doctor. She said, we just don't have outcomes to prove anything that we're doing. And I thought, oh my God. I mean, truer words were never spoken, but given the statements that I just made about all these things that aren't working, why would you want to report those outcomes? I mean, that would be devastating. It would be, wouldn't it? Back in the 2000s, when I was working on the team that built the Boucher Institute of Naturopathic Medicine, one of our goals was to educate the government officials in regards to how the medical system was going to collapse. Eventually, if they didn't do something different, and the goal of the team was to convince uh, the health authorities in British Columbia to give naturopathic doctors the ability to prescribe a range of medications and statin drugs being a really a, actually a good point here because as you said, allopathic doctors typically don't look at adverse reactions or what they could do with nutrition or diet or high quality pharmaceutical grade supplements to support that medication. CoQ10 being a case in point, if you're going to take a statin drug, you should definitely be taking CoQ10. So we presented all of this information in the science, and uh, it took several years, but I think it was 2009 when the government finally passed some provisions allowing naturopathic doctors to start prescribing a range of medications, because what we showed was if they depend on the Canadian healthcare system 
and they go to an allopathic doctor, the taxpayer pays for that visit. If they go to a naturopathic doctor, the patient pays for the visit. Oh, sure. So if you're going to run out of money because your allopathic healthcare system is collapsing due to the 60 to 70% costs of treating chronic illness, which is prevented by naturopathic doctors, just do the math. And so it was that approach that convinced the health authorities to open up prescription capabilities for naturopathic doctors back in 2009. And it's slowly changing with the government of Canada, giving the provinces the right to change their healthcare laws too. But the interesting thing was during that process, when they were doing the, the public hearings in British Columbia, the onslaught, the hatred, the vitriol, in the media, coast to coast in the country from allopathic doctors in the Canadian Medical Association was off the charts. Well, I'm sure Catherine Smart is going to hear it from her members, having said that, because I don't really think she understood what the words outcome meant, probably because she's a pediatric doctor. And if she gets a kid through a flu or cold or some other chronic illness, I think she feels like she's getting good results probably. But when you look at hospitals as an example, there's an award that's given to the hospital that's been the most excellent, if you will, in terms of their performance. And the one that won it last year was from the Charleston, West Virginia. And I actually managed to get a call through to that person, the medical director, and, and I said to them, so why do you think you got this award? I said, I see in the write-up, it says you were holistic in your approach. And I said, I'd really like to get your explanation of what holistic means. And he said, well, that means we contacted everybody in the processes that we used. And everybody's involvement really led to us being able to get this award because it was so inclusive. And I said, but did you measure any outcomes at all? And he said, no, we just measured the process. And I said, well, how can you say it's an excellent system? if you can't measure the outcomes. He had no answer. And then I went to the people who actually give the award and I said this to them. I gave this summary of conversation that I had with this medical director. And I said, do you even know what an outcome measure is in healthcare? And they said, well, we think we have an idea, but we don't, do you have any? Can we share yours? I said, yeah. And I wrote an article about it. You put it in your magazine about the outcome is the Baldrige Award, okay? So people can go in your uh, website, Total Health Magazine, and they can see that the Baldrige Award, I actually wrote an article that told these people exactly what an outcome was. And the outcome for hospitals now, John, is if you get a patient that doesn't return to the hospital within 30 days, the hospitals get a financial bonus. So that's the outcome of a hospital. If they think you're doing a good job if you can keep the patient from going into the hospital again within 30 days of their release. Now, isn't that just wonderful? (laughs) It's true. That's a successful outcome. Well, because there's so many patients that return before 30 days that the medical establishment in the U.S. said, we've got to fix that. We've got to get better at this. But they didn't know how. They still don't know how. And so I think it's quite remarkable that the doctor who's the head of the Canadian Medical Association would say that the system is near collapse and they don't know how to measure outcomes and juxtaposition that against what the head CEO of Cleveland Clinic said about four or five years ago. He said, functional medicine is the medicine of the future. Now, functional medicine is natural medicine. And so the allopathic system is not working. 
And so that's why I'm writing this article on is allopathic medicine the wrong medicine? And so we're going to, you know, that'll be in your magazine before too long because I'm just sort of like two thirds, well, about a third of the way through that article. But like you said, the doctors are pushing back. They're pushing back on vitamins and supplements. They're pushing back on everything natural that really works. So this is what's surprising to me. And here's the evidence that'll nail, nail this down for you. In 2006, there was an article published in Business Week magazine and the title of the thing was Medical Guesswork. And it was an article written by Dr. David Eddy that did two and a half years of study looking at every medical procedure for allopathic medicine. He could only find good science to support 20 to 25% of what they were doing. In 2015, the Journal of Clinical Evidence had another study that they put out, and they found that only 11% of conventional medical treatments had good science behind them. And just two weeks ago, the Journal of Clinical Epidemiology did another study, and they said that only 6% of healthcare interventions had good science. So it went from 20% in 2006 to 11% in 2015 to 6% in 2022. It's getting worse, not better. So, Well, just looking at some other numbers here to illustrate the ineffectiveness of some of these medications and drugs, between 2012 and 2021, January to June 2021, total of 12,787 drugs were recalled. Wow. 12,787 drugs were recalled. Let me say that again. <laughs> By the FDA, right? The FDA, who's supposed to be the Food and Drug Administration, or as I like to colloquially call them, the Federal Drugging of America. And those were the successful ones. And you just look at the fines that pharmaceutical companies have paid the billions of dollars by Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson and Merck. I actually have a spreadsheet of over a thousand fines that have been awarded totaling something like $30 billion or more. It's just, it's crazy. And most of those fines were for off-label use and kickbacks, off-label use and kickbacks, the number one fine. And the interesting thing, another article I came across was I mean, we know about Purdue. Purdue's the one that's been in the news for fentanyl, and then that, that was huge. That was an $8 billion fine. But a compounding pharmacy company, when they were fined, two of their pharmacists, they went to prison. Now, how many pharmaceutical executives have gone to prison for their $30-plus billion worth of fines? Wow. Just saying. I know. Just saying. So it's just business as usual. I think it's also common knowledge in our industry that Pharmaceutical companies, when they're bringing a drug to market, and this is also something that uh, I read a great study on earlier today, too, on uh, that since Dr. Fauci took over the system, the amount of time required to approve a drug has shrunken drastically. There are almost no more long-term studies done on these drugs to prove their effectiveness or to assess their adverse reactions. Almost none. It's so interesting that you would mention Dr. Fauci <laughs> because just yesterday there was an article that he said that he got the flu about two weeks ago. Now he's fully vaccinated. You know very well he's fully vaccinated. Yes. But he got the flu. Well, but he he claims. Had, he, yeah, he had very light symptoms. But then the, Pfizer has a new drug out there called Paxlovid. So Paxlovid is supposed to be an antiviral medication. And so he and his doctor thought, well, this is a good thing. I'll take this as kind of a backup to the vaccine that I had just to see if we can push this virus in the background more. Anyway, he took one dose of it, got tested, and he was still, he was still negative. So he thought, you know what? I'm going to take another dose just for the heck of it. 
he got the second dose and he started to experience very severe symptoms. Tested him again and he had the virus. And I'm thinking to myself, if this isn't the most ironic thing that I've ever heard about, I mean, the fact that he would admit this, I mean, I'm not sure why he is doing this, but this is at the same time that Paxlovid is being asked to be given certification by the FDA for its medication when Fauci comes out and says, I had a very, very bad reaction from this drug. And I thought, well, this is just classic. I don't think you could have set this up any better. And yet they're going to approve it. All right. There's no question they're going to approve it, just like they're going to approve the vaccinations for kids under five, even though there's really no good scientific evidence to show that it works or is beneficial or is needed by these kids at that age. There's just not any evidence to support that. And so they go along their merry way thinking they can get away with this because they have in the past. And I think that unless there's something really drastic that happens in the future, they're probably going to continue to get away with it. And we're going to continue to make some incremental changes and improvements, but we'll never probably get to the point where we'll be able to get them back in the proper place of the medical establishment. I hope that's not true, but I just, I see all the money that they spend in the media and in the politicians trying to keep the system in a favorable light for them. And I just don't see any way to get past it. I mean, we're trying, we're doing the best we can. We're trying, we are. Well, people don't realize that the major media firms, your television, your print, and all all of them, their majority shareholders are the same institutional investors that are the majority shareholders in the pharmaceutical companies. So there's a collaboration there, but I wanna bring up another point here, just to go back to the uh, recalling of the drugs, just to give our listeners a clearer picture globally, right? Because the U.S. obviously can't be the only country that's recalling drugs. So in the United States, in that time range I mentioned earlier, 12,028 drugs were recalled in the U.S., all right? Canada, with this great healthcare system that's collapsing, had 554. They were second. The U.S. was at 12,000. Canada was at 554. Mexico, a country that the media like to slam all the time, only 37. Switzerland and the United Kingdom have tied for the tremendous number of one drug being recalled in those countries in that same amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what to say about that. I don't know whether that's just a lack of reporting or whether their system is a little bit more cautious about what they allow. I know in Germany, they have Commission E and they do a lot of much, I think, much better research than the FDA does. Now, they do require things like vitamins and minerals in many cases to be prescribed, but that means they get paid for if they're prescribed. If, uh, if a woman needs to have some treatments for hot flashes and other things and, and they use primrose oil, that's a kind of a gamma-6 oil, then they get it paid for. And so the upside of it is, yeah, there's more research and it, you have to get a prescription medication, but the other upside of it is it's paid for by the medical system. And so... Yeah, right. Different countries are doing different things here. I just don't know whether we have a pathway to get out of this. I mean, when you look at the studies on functional medicine from the Institute of Medicine in the U.S. and from Lancet in U.K., all kinds of evidence is out there for the proof that these natural therapies work really well. And Michael Murray, who's right. a professor in Washington at the Bestier and at the Washington State Medical School, he said, there's no question that for most chronic illnesses, natural therapies work much, much better than prescription drugs do. 
Now, they have one of the better integrated medicine programs in their medical school because, you know, they have a cross-professorship between Bastyr, which is a naturopathic college, and the University of Washington uh, Medical School. But we're moving so slow in this direction of taking the best of both worlds, in other words, take the best of allopathic medicine and combine it with the best of functional medicine, and you get this integrative medicine model that is the model of the future. But that means they're going to have to give up about 80 to 90% of the prescription medications that don't work. Well, I think the problem we have too, though, is it, a lot of people, they don't really don't have a vested interest in their own healthcare system. I mean, for their personal physical body, they really rely on their allopathic doctor to give them a magic pill to solve the problem as opposed to changing their diet and getting exercise. And just look at the fact that over $2 trillion is spent every year on chronic illness. And most of that is preventable by the same people you're talking about, functional medicine doctors. Well, listen, we've been, we've quoted that figure so many times in our articles and on our radio show that, you know, 80% of chronic disease is preventable. And yet we only spend 5% of all healthcare dollars on prevention. So that right there tells you what the problem is. And the bottom line is that we're going to talk about this in our next show a little bit more because we're going to talk about all the natural therapies that do work. But as a kind of a lead into that, we, what we mention is that if you can catch these illnesses soon enough, and you wrote me back on this, if we can catch these illnesses soon enough before they become really set and, and doing damage to a person's body, then the chances of recovery even go beyond 80%. And so all the tests that we're going to talk about in the next version of this topic in the next interview that we're going to do is going to be about the tests that find cellular damage being done five to 10 years before it's recognized by allopathic doctors as a chronic illness. And so if you were going to use, for instance, uh, diabetes, and you use the total glucose or the A1C, those tests are totally inadequate. You're already a diabetic by the time you have that test give you a bad result. But if you get the glycomark test, the glycomark will tell you five to seven years before the A1C that your cells are starting to experience some challenge, both your insulin receptors and on your cells and your pancreas. If you can start to do the natural things then, you've got a 95% chance of preventing that diabetes from ever happening. And so that's the thing that astonishes me is we have all this good science. And so the question has to be asked, John, are these doctors doing malpractice because they're not paying attention to this stuff? I mean, I think we should do a show on that eventually. I agree. But then we go back to the comment I made earlier about the billions of dollars in fines, the majority of which have been for kickbacks to doctors. Yeah, I think doctors are getting kickbacks and pressured and receiving kickbacks to continue this whole prescription model as opposed to recommending vitamin D3 if you want to prevent breast cancer and prostate cancer and colon cancer. Yeah, the problem is, where where did all the investigative reporters go? The investigative reporters got buried because the medical community, the pharmaceutical community, is paying so much money that the owners of the outlets will yes. say, the investigative reporting, forget it. It ain't going to happen. And so 60 Minutes did a whole big thing on long COVID. And you know, you and I have been working on long COVID for two years now. Yes. And we put together a great protocol that works a majority of the time for nearly 100% of people. And yet I tried to contact 60 Minutes to try to get there to give one minute to this. 
And they just, they wouldn't even return my emails and my phone calls. And because they don't want to, because this is something that they don't, no. they don't want to fix. Right. But like you said, it's terrible. But like you said, it's not all doom and gloom as our regular listeners to health trends will know. So on that next show, we're going to shine a light on what works. Yes. And I think that's the important thing because word of mouth does spread. Yes. And you know, we've got about a hundred million people that go on the internet to go look into natural therapies. And so that means we've got a good percentage of adults, intelligent, progressive thinking adults, actually looking at natural solutions. The problem is we don't have any way to censor that and let people know what is good and what is not good. And right, right. now I'm doing a lot of research on ALS. Now ALS is one of the most difficult of all diseases to treat. Some, I would get 90% of people die within six months after they get a diagnosis for ALS. And yet I'm digging up research that I am convinced when we put it all together, we can stop the progress of this disease. And I don't understand why more doctors are not looking at this. Now, mind you, there's only 20 or 25,000 people in the United States that have ALS. 5,000 people a year are diagnosed and another 5,000 die because it's such a, a big turnover. But it's not necessary. And I'm thinking to myself, if I can find this research and I can put this together in this way, why couldn't somebody else? There's a lot of people out there, doctors and scientists that are smarter than I am, and they're not able to put this together. Is it because they're not interested and I am? Because my interest level is extremely high. So anyway, we're going to put it out there and we're going to contact the so-called experts on ALS and see if they are interested in listening. I think they might be because the medical community has absolutely nothing for ALS. Nothing. So that's uh, why do I keep choosing the toughest things to go after, like cancer and COVID and ALS? <laughs> yes. Anyway, I think we beat the living heck out of this one. But I wanted to let you know that on July the 19th, we have coming up a seminar, well, actually a webinar, I guess, on how to prevent and reverse chronic illness naturally. And I don't know whether we'll have enough registrations or too many registrations by the time this show airs, which is about two weeks from now. But I'm going to say to people, if this survives this broadcast, that means there's still room open for somebody to join in on this. It's $25. The $25 includes a free copy of my book, Health in Your Pocket and all the transcripts from the webinar. And it's going to be... One of my favorite hour, books. Oh, thank you. It's going to be an hour and a half. And I think it's going to be a great summary of all the great science. I mean, I have to put new science in every time I do a workshop because there's so much new stuff that comes out. And so if this does survive this particular podcast, then people can go to my website, drcharlesbenz.com. And right on the homepage, there'll be a registration there where you can use PayPal or Stripe or your credit card or wherever to join in. And uh, I guarantee you, it's going to be the best of the best of the Healing Trends with Dr. Ben shows as we really go over and, all the stuff that works. Okay. And I also want to tell the listeners, the best thing you could do is just purchase your book. It's the best gift you could give anybody, especially if they're not in the best of health. But 
also for prevention to stay healthy. There's so many things that you cover in that book. It just amazes me. It, well, you put years into that book. Thank you so much. It actually did take a couple of years to write, and I appreciate the uh, the kudos. I want to say goodbye to our listeners now by letting them know that we have sponsors that really help us to carry on with this show. And the sponsors are Beacon Health Advisors and their financial advisors. There are 50 of them across the country. And they really pay attention to not only your finances, but they're interested in your health as well. And so we want to make sure that if you have some financial advising to have to be done, that you use Beacon Point Advisors as your group to look into your finances and see how you can really get a better idea of what the overall picture is for your health and your wealth, because they are going to pay attention to health. They're, they're part of a group that is in Sarasota that's now become part of the Beacon Point Advisors, and we've worked with them for about 15 or 20 years. So pay attention to your finances with the help of Beacon Point Advisors. Another sponsor is Paddock Pools, and Paddock Pools is really into wellness, and they have a great wellness program. I've been working with them for about three years on their wellness program, and their product is they have a, th a thing called the vacuum extractor where they can take chlorine gas off the surface of the pool to allow you to absorb oxygen at a 95% improved level than if you didn't have this vacuum extractor on it. And so getting oxygen into your body when you're swimming is really, really important. And you don't want that chlorine gas there. And so this extractor takes about 95% of that chlorine gas away. And so if you have a project and you want to get a, a better pool in your community, then contact Paddock Pools, P-A-D-D-O-C-K. And the third sponsor is DHA Labs. DHA Labs has been doing progressive diagnostic work in blood and urine and genetic testing for about 50 years now. And I have eight tests that I've developed with them. And they're all in that same category that we talked about before. We try to find illness five to 10 years before it actually manifests as a disease, according to allopathic doctors. So these are tests that really find those things happening in your cells five to 10 years before these diseases actually happen. And the fourth sponsor is MPB Health. MPB Health is a medical cost sharing company. And that's different than insurance companies because... They actually pay attention to wellness and they actually are very aggressive in their programs to educate their members because if the members save money on their individual health, then the group saves money on their premiums. And so by doing a really good job on wellness, MPB Health has been able to get their premiums reduced by 30 to 50% compared to health insurance companies. And so those are our four sponsors. We really thank them for what they do. And I thank John Barson for what he does, always adding really relevant and wonderful things to our podcasts. So, John, until uh, the next time, we'll see you soon. And we look forward to our listeners listening in and telling others about our program. Bye for now. Thanks, Charles. Thanks, Charles.